If you have your Bibles, please open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This morning we will be studying from verse 10 to 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 to 20. Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage of their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had a father to son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will not take. He will not take nothing. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So, what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Let us pray. Lord, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we, and what we are not, make us. In your son's name, amen. Christians tend to think in the, in the extreme when it comes to wealth or money. Some people think that money is evil because by having money, you're somehow devoting your life to the things of the devil. And instead of trusting in Jesus, you're trusting in your money. And therefore, Christians should all be poor. At the same time, there's the opposite extreme, and that extreme is that uh, you know we see the prosperity gospel is all about money. Jesus wants you to be wealthy, and that uh, if you are a Christian, that you are bound to be a millionaire. And both are imbalanced and wrong. And usually, this happens because some people are very selective of the verses when it comes to wealth, or they twist scripture to make it mean what they want. And when they reach these certain conclusions, is often imbalanced and wrong. It doesn't help that the culture and even some Christians have a wrong view of money and how to use money. And we're all familiar with the phrase, right? Money is the root of all evil. Amen? Some of you, some of you know this trick. For those that said, yes, it is actually not true. Because we know that not money is, a, is evil. It's that the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. The fact that some people assume that the money is, is the root of all evil shows that there's a lack of biblical understanding of money and the stewardship that, that we're called with money. Of all the people in Scripture, Jesus speaks a lot about money. Solomon speaks a lot about it as well in here, in this book, as well as the book of Proverbs. 
And as a pastor, I understand how strange it is when I talk about money to you because the natural inclination to think is like, oh, there's a conflict of interest here. Because if I say give, then it's like, oh, we're giving it to the pastors. That's actually not how it works. In fact, we do the offering before the message uh, so that when you're convicted by this message, you can just give next week instead of giving it at the end of the service. Um, at the same time, on a side note, if you want your money back, you can't, or at least I can't give it to you. Just talk with Archie and he'll figure that out with him. And pastors shouldn't speak of money in, a, in terms of for their own sake, like I shouldn't talk about money for my own sake, but we should talk about it from a biblical standpoint for, our, for all of our sake, for all of us. This will benefit each and every single one of us. Solomon, throughout this entire book, speaks of how everything in life is vain, that everything is, is vain and meaningless. There's no meaning under the sun unless all that we do under the, under the sun points us to the sun, the true sun, Jesus Christ, who holds all of creation by the word of his mouth. Without God, all that a person will do in this life will perish. It will be meaningless. There will be a sense of dread and frustration because they'll have no idea why they are acquiring all of this wealth. Life is empty without God. But just as this book speaks of how everything is meaningless without God, the inverse is also true, that with God, everything makes sense. If you think of everything in light of how it points you to the Lord and how God wants us to enjoy this life under His rule, then everything will make sense. Chapter 1, Solomon speaks about how pursuing knowledge, you can know everything that there is under the sun, and yet really it's not anything new under the sun, but if you learn everything, you could have answers to all of life's questions. You will still be able to, not be able to answer the main question, and that is, what is the meaning of all of this? Only a Christian can answer that definitively. What is the, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Chapter 2 <laughs> speaks of pursuing pleasure, pursuing the things of this world, things that, that, that delight you, whether it's experiences or things. You can have all the pleasures in the world, but at the very end there will be no lasting pleasure because everything in life is meaningless. Pleasure in this life will not satisfy and chapter 3 speaks of time and how there's one extreme to the next. There's a time for this and time for that. And that's designed so that you know that this life has its extremes and life just goes from one end to the other. And you can't escape that. You're bounded by time because we are creatures. And God is a creator who's outside of time and is, and is in sovereign control of every season. Chapter 4, then, Solomon speaks of the practical advice that living in a fallen world is better to just have other people with you. Part of the reason why I think the church exists is, is, is to fulfill that. God knows that people, it's not good for man to be alone. So he instituted marriage uh, for Adam and then eventually the church for everyone else to enjoy life together. That is better. The life is just better when you have other people with you. And chapter 5 begins by talking about how you need to be mindful when you worship the Lord. Before you approach God, before you go and worship the Lord, be mindful of what's going on in your own heart, and, and especially how you speak. That is better to speak very little. Now, I see the contradiction here because I'm a pastor, but I speak, and I speak for a living, but that is my job here. But for all of us, generally speaking, we need to be mindful in the way that we approach the Lord with the things that we say. Now this chapter concludes here by speaking of wealth and how if it's misplaced in your life, you'll be bankrupt. And, not, and I'm not talking about physically, like if you misplace your, your credit card or something, you're going to go bankrupt. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. If it's misplaced in your own heart, then what will result is a form of idolatry. Now if this is you, if you find yourself loving money, then Solomon here has a word for you. If you try to pursue wealth without God, it will go nowhere because everything without God is meaningless. And you might be tempted that you might be tempted to say to me or any other pastors, like, hey, you don't have that much money, so you shouldn't be able to tell me how to, uh, what I should do with my money. And then that might be true. But Solomon here is wealthy, so we're going to learn from him. He's the most wealthiest person that ever lived. So I was like, okay, he, well, let's learn from his advice his perspective on it. Solomon was a king and he had a tremendous amount of wealth, so much wealth that it is said in 1 Kings that, that those gold and silver was just like, it's just like rocks in the ground. In our modern day context, it would be like saying, 
if you went to McDonald's and got a Happy Meal, and they gave you a free iPhone. You know, that the nation just so wealthy that they could just give you the most luxurious things for free. Solomon brought Israel to high, the high, I guess the highest points. They were there'll never be a point where they're this wealthy, and it's because of Solomon's wisdom. Now we fail to understand God's design for money. We will either idolize money or we'll be fearful of money. If we fail to understand God's design for wealth, we'll either be afraid of it or we'll idolize it. Understanding God's view of money will give us a balanced view on how we balance our checkbooks. Solomon here speaks of the dangers, disappointments, and delight of money. And by understanding these principles, you can, we'll understand how we're supposed to think about money in our life so that we can glorify God with our wealth. So let's look at the first point here, the dangers of money or the dangers of wealth, verse 10 to 12. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Solomon gives a kind of warning to those who loves money. Notice that the problem is not money and the solution is not poverty. Solomon wasn't saying that the problem is that you have a grip on money, but rather does money have a grip on you? Those who love money will never be satisfied with money. And this, this is the dangers of money. Is that they, this is false lie that tells you that if you just have a little bit more money, if you just have a different type of job that pays you a little bit more, then you will be happy. Then you'll be completely satisfied. But we know that's not true. But think about in your own life. Do you find yourself being tempted to think this way as well? One evidence of people's placing their trust in money too much is that whenever the economy goes up and the things are skyrocketing, that they're, they're, like, they're just joyful and excited and, about life. And the moment the economy crashes, then they become depressed and sad. And that tells you that the, the, what drives their heart is not the Lord, but rather what goes on around them. We all have to admit that to a certain extent, this is our fleshly inclination. We may be tempted to think that if we have more money or just increase in pay or more in our bonus, then we will be satisfied. Just a little bit more. And Solomon's saying, that's not true. That's not going to happen. Solomon in this first verse also says that, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This isn't, again, this isn't to say that the problem is, is that you have money, but what you do with your money, the things you spend, the things that you want to buy, the things that you possess, the lifestyle that you want, things that you think that you can buy that can give you fulfillment and happiness, but in the end, it only lead to disappointment. Solomon here is saying that you cannot find happiness in money or the things that money brings. These things are vain and it will not satisfy Verse 11, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? Solomon essentially is saying that those who have much are going to lose much. There's going to be these little leechers that are going to come and want your money. Wealth and wealth can bring people that want to, they, they would just want to be with you for your wealth. They actually desire your stuff. So the more you have, the more people will take from you. We're in the end of April right now, and I think some of you have paid your taxes, so you understand this concept. That the more money you have, the government wants to take more from you. Uh, the more you have, the more you lose. And we understand this isn't just only the government as well, but people. Sometimes the more people know about your wealth, they want to just spend more time with you so that you can you know, treat them and, and take them out and buy things for them. Money will frustrate you because the more you have, the more others will want to take from you. So what comes to your mind when you see a, a, pay in, a boost in your pay or, or you get a bonus check? Usually what happens is people think, oh, this is the things I can buy with it or things that I can enjoy. <clears throat> but if you let that thought control you, you'll find yourself buying and spending and at the end of the month there is a lot less than you were before you bought everything. And Solomon understands this because as he was, you know, he was super wealthy and in, in his court you can just imagine that he, he had to pay for all the musicians and all the, the singers and all the food people and all the chefs and all the, the waiters and everything. And First Kings chapter 4 speaks that he actually has to pay 15,000 people every single day. He's feeding all of these people. And it's just funny to think about that, all the money that's in Solomon's wallet goes into the, all their mouths. He's just watching them consume all that he has. 
Solomon ends this verse by saying that those who are wealthy will have no other choice but have other, but to just watch other people consume their goods. There isn't much a person can, can do once people catch wind of your wealth. You just watch as others devour your wealth in front of you. Verse 12. The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the fullness of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. This is a truism by Solomon. If you have a job, whether you make a lot or little, uh, if you understand, the, uh, if you just work hard, uh, you'll sleep pleasantly. And this guy is spent. Just imagine this individual working, um, working hard. He may not make that much, but at least he gets to sleep. On the, on the other end, there's a wealthy person that, has, that can't sleep. No matter how wealthy he is, he's, he's always thinking about the next thing. He's planning in the next month or the next year, or how he's going to invest better, or how to keep his money. He's just worried about his own money. The rich people, no matter how full their stomach is, they're not allowed to sleep. Even if they're sleeping on a pile of money, they're still worried about, oh, how can I make more and more? And this comparison to this wealthy person, this normal, uh, hardworking individual. Both are hardworking, but one is obviously wealthy, and the other is probably just content with what he has, and one can find rest while the wealthy person cannot. The wealthy has more to worry about. Now, some of you are probably thinking, if I was to be afflicted with the trial of having a lot of money, if I were to choose between having all the money in the world and having that trial versus a trial of no money, then Lord, bless me with the trial of having more money, because that would be easier for me. And Solomon here is saying no, because life is just going to be exponentially harder. Henry Ford, you know, the guy that made the Ford vehicle, um, after he became super successful building all these cars, uh, you know, eventually there's going to be, you know, he has to go through board meetings and make all these executive decisions. And at one point they asked him, after making all of this wealth, uh, he looked back in his life, he wished that he was just a mere mechanic. He wished he would just go back to the days when life was just so much more simpler. We just fixed cars instead of having to build and, and think of all of these different things to keep a company running. Why is that? It's because it's easier to live with less. The more you have, the more problems you have. Cue the 90 song. The danger lies, uh, the wealth gives, is that you, if you just have a little bit more, just a little bit more wealth, then you will be happy. Not realizing that the danger is that you'll always be pursuing wealth, and it's often to your own hurt. You'll see it consumed by others, and you won't be able to do anything about it. The danger of money is that ultimately, is an ultimate lie that money is going to be yours to keep and it is going to make you happy. The lie is that the more you have, the more you'll be satisfied. And that is not true. Wealth can corrupt your mind to thinking that life will actually be better if I just have a little bit more, if I just have a little bit more in my retirement, if I have just a little bit more of these things, then I will be happy. Not realizing that oftentimes, that when money have a grip on your own heart, it often leads to apostasy. First Timothy chapter six, verse eight to ten reads this: If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to be rich all fall into temptation and the snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. But the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The only way to combat the deception of wealth is to be content with what God has given you. Be content with what God has given you. <laughs> Not only is money dangerous, but also money will disappoint. Money will disappoint. Our second point, the disappointments of money, verse 13 to 17. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their own owner to his hurts. It hurts to keep your money and it hurts to spend your money. Sometimes keeping too much uh, money for yourself, you'll end up, you know, people will just treat you differently. You'll just get hurt. For example, if you're super wealthy, again, there's that expectation that when you eat with that person, that person is going to pay the bill. Right? And if you choose not to, you choose not to split the bill or have someone else pay it, they might think, oh, you're so stingy and you're so greedy. 
and, and keeping your mo- keeping the money hurts you in the same way. In other in other cases, you're able to buy the latest toy or car, and people are going to be envious, and then they're just going to say bad things about you, right? It's just life is just so much better when I was just driving a Toyota. Yeah, I have a two Toyota, so I'm like, yeah, Toyota's the best. You know, like people might want to have nice cars. Okay, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but just know there's going to be haters that can come with that. Having money can, can cause great pain to you. Not only that, but keeping money can also cause you great pain. Um, verse 14, when those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, there was nothing to support him. And it's funny, this little scenario here is about this wealthy person that has a whole bunch of wealth and he was like, oh yeah, I have a lot of money, let's, let's invest in something so I get more money. And then he, he made one bad investment and then I'm just imagining his little minion saying, hey sir, we lost all the money, uh, what are we going to do? And then someone else comes in and whispers to the ear, hey by the way, you're a dad now. Uh, and, he's like, and then this guy freaks out because not only does he have a father, but he has no way to support that kid because he lost all of his money. And what's the point of this? The point is that money can be gone at the most inconvenient time. Money can disappear at the time when you need it the most, which means that money isn't reliable. You may think that once you have it and you save enough, uh, but money isn't permanent. It's not a lasting security. I remember a few, it was a month or two ago, that GameStop stock, right? There was those hedge fund guys that said like, oh, we're going to say that this company's worth this little. And then a whole bunch of Reddit people online were like, hey, let's, let's mess up the system. They all bought into it and they inflated that stock and a whole bunch of people got rich. But those hedge fund guys overnight lost millions and millions of dollars. Again, I'm not saying that if you bought that stock that you're in sin. I'm just saying that there's just a general observation that if they can lose money very quickly, so can you. This last week, I was reading this proverb, and it's been almost like my favorite proverb. It's Proverbs 23, verse 4 to 5, it reads this. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone, for wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And it's funny imagery. Just imagine, you know, those, you know how there's those like origami things that people do with their dollars? Imagine it's just like automatically doing that and just flying away. You know, all the money that you have just sprouts wings and just leaves, it flies away. And Solomon is saying here, in the Proverbs as well as the Ecclesiastes, that as you're just sitting here and waiting, your, your dollars are, are, are morphing wings that is going to leave you at some point. You, and it's just the reality of wealth. It's not dependable, it's not reliable. It'll leave at the time that's most inconvenient. Verse 15, as one as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. You cannot take the wealth that you acquired in this life to the next. You, can't, you were born with nothing. In fact, everything that you received the moment you were born was given to you. Uh, when both of my kids were born, in a matter of minutes, someone wrapped them, uh, wrapped my kids in a little cloth, and then they got a little pacifier, and then they got a little hat. You know, they were like fully clothed. Their food was there for him, that, or, or both of them, for the kids. They're born with nothing, and immediately they have a whole bunch of things. And some people, when they die, you might be buried with things, but you can't take it into glory with you. And Solomon here is speaking subtly that there's a reality that there is an afterlife. And death strips away all the wealth and stuff that you've acquired in this life. Verse 16, 17. This is also a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. And this is familiar. He said this earlier is a grievous evil. And all that a person does in this life is just it's like chasing the wind. Those who try to make money... Uh, make meaning out of money for their existence will find that it will, they won't be able to enjoy it. Even the best food that's before them, they will not be happy. And I'm just visualizing this, la- this last verse as this guy sitting there by himself just brooding and with his plate of steak by himself like thinking about how hard life is because of how much money he needs to manage and everything. He just, and just contemplating about how lonely life is. Wealth is not eternal. If, you, if that is true, that means that wealth will disappoint. Wealth is not eternal, so that means it will, it will flee, it will disappear, it will be taken from you. 
either escapes you at a time that you need it most or someone will take it from you or before you get a chance to even enjoy it. This is why Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 to verse 20 tells us to not to worry about the things of this world because their moth will, will destroy it or someone can steal it. Rather, invest in eternal things. Wealth will not satisfy because that's not what it's intended to be. If you have your hope and wealth, brace yourself for disappointment. Invest well, find, save, do all those things, fine. But have an eternal perspective about the wealth that you have in the moment. Money will disappoint you. There are dangers in wealth as well as disappointments. Now we're going to look at, it's almost like a contrast to everything he said before, the delights of wealth, the delights of money. Our last point this morning, the delights of money, verse 18. Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. What Solomon, what's interesting here, Solomon is saying that spend it on experiences, spend it not on possessions. It's the secret of enjoying wealth is to enjoy it on things that are enjoyable with the people that you enjoy being with that also enjoy being with you. Spend it on things that cannot be taken from you, the experiences, the, um, the memories. Remember a few weeks ago when we had our little dinner, that little Passover dinner, and then that game that we had where you type in the things that you miss, or the first thing that you, the things you miss about COVID, because of COVID. And then I, I typed in one and just to see what others, if other will follow suit. And the two words that were like the biggest and equal in terms of size is one of them is travel and the other is fellowship. And I wonder if the reason why that is is because you miss making experiences with people that you love. You miss traveling with your friends and family to places. Uh, do you have all these laughs and all these adventures? You miss going outside. Especially with COVID, we're able to, uh, we can't really make memories outside, so people just spend and buy things and have things sent to them, but they can't send themselves anywhere. I remember the beginning of Shelter in Place in Costco, there was a sign that says, no toilet paper, no disinfecting wipe, and then no Nintendo Switch. And I kind of laugh because in my mind I'm thinking this person sitting on a pile of disinfectant wipes and toilet paper playing as the Nintendo Switch. Um, and I remember just, I'm thinking the reason why maybe the, these things are sold out is because they can't travel, they can't do anything, so they want to find some sort of excitement, so they go into a video game. They want, to, they want to experience something that's beyond themselves, that's outside of the immediate moment. If you want to spend your money on something, spend it on memories. Spend it on things with people that you love. The Bible actually doesn't present the problem, again, as money, but the problem is actually not knowing how to enjoy money for the glory of God. Money is both a gift and as a means for survival. Both are for, by God and for the glory of God. It means that the, it is a means by which God has provided for you, so be thankful for the work that He's given you. He's given you this job for you to enjoy so that you can live. Every single day you go into work, it's, it's God's way of saying, here's how I'm providing for your daily bread. And it's also a gift in that you can enjoy life. Every good thing comes from the Lord. And, and life, He created this earth. You should enjoy this life. Enjoy the earnings of wealth, not the storing of wealth. Enjoy the earning of wealth, not the storing of wealth. The gift itself is actually the job. This is what you do, and you, and this is what you're designed to do. Some of you are probably thinking, see, Pastor Waray is now telling me to spend, and let's just go and buy things. And others might see the opposite and say, see, Pastor Ray is telling me to save. I need to like, stop spending money, save, save it all. I'm not going to dictate how you, how you should spend your money or how you should save, but generally speaking, you should just do the opposite of your natural inclination. Because if you're spending too much, you're always going on shopping sprees, then you're not being wise with your money. Um, you think that you uh, you think that you're just um, spending all this much all this money, and then eventually, when you actually need the money, that's like okay, then you were just unwise. You didn't plan ahead. At the same time, you're just saving all your money, not spending at all. Then you get then you're missing some of the the joys of life that God has given this world for you to enjoy. Travel with friends and enjoy a meal with one another. These things are good things. Solomon said earlier that there's. There has to be a balance. There's a season for one and the other. There's a season of gathering and there's a season of, of spending. There's a, just one time of work and a time of just enjoying life. Now, if you choose to buy something, buy it and be thankful to the Lord for giving you the means to enjoy whatever it is. Don't idolize the gift, but love the gift giver. If you save a lot, don't find your security in the Lord. Be thankful that the Lord has, providing, has provided for you. 
whichever you choose, whether it's a save or spend, love God more because of it. I've used this illustration before of a sunflower. You know, sunflower is not called a sunflower because it looks like a sun, though that's somewhat true. But the reason why it's a sunflower is because it always follows the sun. If you used to see a little sunflower, you just go like this and just go follow the sun. And as it develops, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it still follows the sun. And eventually, you'll notice a point where the sunflower gets so big, it's kind of like hunched over because of how big it is. But even then, it still follows the sun because it's still dependent on it. And that's how we need to be. That the more the Lord blesses us with his riches, the more the Lord gives us, we should be humbly bowing to him and continue following him. Wealth is something the Lord gives to us. Any and every blessing that you get from the Lord should cause you to love him more. And, and that should result in holy living. You have, you're devoted to him more. You love him more. So you want to follow him and do all the things that's pleasing to him because you know he's a good and loving father to you. If buying things or saving things make you love the world more, then you are spending and saving it wrong. All purchases or savings must direct you to a greater devotion to the Lord. It should make you love and trust God more because you see tangibly God's goodness in your life. If you choose to save, save with a purpose. And also remember that it is, this is God's way of providing for you. Providing for you so that when the time comes that it requires you to dip into your savings, that's already God's kindness to you. He's providentially provided for you for need down the line. Saving should make you trust and trust the Lord more for your provision, not how not your own hands. Again, this is what, this will happen with Joseph in Egypt, right? Uh, God told, brought Joseph into Egypt and told them there was a plague coming, and He provided for them so that when the plague did come, that they were able to get, survive through it. Ants even understand this principle that they know that winter is coming. They know that the <coughs> There's going to be a time where it's going to be hard, so they gather in the summertime. Now, if you choose to save, save knowing it's only truly God that's providing for you and not your own hand. If you choose to save, save for the glory of God. Remember chapter 4, verse 6, it says, One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. there needs to be a balance. One hand needs to be on working, another hand needs to be on enjoying life. If you put two hands on work, then you're just idolizing your work and you miss out on the joys of life. If you put two hands on, on enjoying life, then you just become bankrupt soon. Verse 19, Furthermore, for as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Solomon here states that there is limited enjoyment that comes from wealth. The pleasure of wealth is restricted and limited to this life. It can't go beyond its intended purpose. It's just a tool. A person that loves and idolizes their work will not be able to enjoy any lasting returns from their wealth. We can enjoy wealth when we realize that our wealth is from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 20. Two reads, It is a blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. We know that God is the one that gives. All gifts are from the Lord. These are just extended measures of his grace. Wealth itself is not <clears throat> wealth itself is from God, and the ability to enjoy is also from God. You can't pit wealth against God. That's why Matthew chapter six and Luke chapter sixteen tells us that you cannot love God and money. You know, that means that you can't love God and money equally. There's only one pedestal in your heart that, that, uh, that controls you is either God or money, but it cannot be both. Sometimes people think that wealth equals ungodliness, which, again, it isn't necessarily true uh, because there are wealth, not, not, not all wealthy people are evil and not all poor people are righteous. Right? In fact, the Proverbs talks about the, how laziness is often, uh, which often leads to poverty. And laziness is often seen as a sin. So, you know, how do you balance those two? You understand that it's not the wealth, but rather the person. What do they love most? Also, this implies here when verse 19 about, you know, your work, that you're actually doing it legally. So, you know, don't be like, oh, I'm going to sell crack for the glory of God. That's not how it works. Um, do things that are legally, that are legal to the, to the government and, you know, and to, mainly to the Lord. In fact, Deuteronomy 8, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it speaks about how when Israel gets into the new the, the promised land, that when they see all these homes that are abandoned, and all the, the, the fields and everything that they have, all of that is, is blessing from the Lord. And they're not supposed to boast about it. 
the wealth that they have, they're supposed to say God has provided for everything so that they could be dependent on them. And that's the same way for us. Wealth is a gift from the Lord. It's a cause you to devote your life to Him. It's not for you to boast and brag about your own abilities and your wealth. The ability that you have to make money or the family that you're born into or the talents that you have, the connections you made or the opportunities that you're given, every single one of them is from the Lord. And you and I don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyway. Verse 20, for he, will not obtain, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So God gives uh, people work so that they don't even remember. Uh, they, they give, God gives them work so they can enjoy it. And then when they're enjoying it, they don't even remember how hard their work is. And that's cool. You know, the Lord gives us things to enjoy so that you know, as hard as work is, that we're going to remember all the fun things that the, the, the job provided for us. You know, some people are so obsessed with what if that when it comes to money, they just miss out on, on enjoying the short life that God has given them. God gifts you, gifts you with money and the lights of money, and he's a giver of all, he's a giver of all good gifts, so we should delight in him. But what am I supposed to do with this? These are all kind of philosophical concepts. How am I supposed to apply this in my life? Well, I have five points and how you could apply it this coming week and hopefully even beyond this week five points on how to apply this, all three of these here. First, as I said earlier, is be content with your wealth. Be content with your wealth. The way to have consistent joy with your wealth is to be content with your wealth. Don't long for more, but be content. If you have, uh, if you're content, then everything will be enjoyable. If, you have, if you're discontent, then having the whole world will not make you satisfied. I read First Timothy uh, earlier, about how we just have shelter and food, or just clothing and food, uh, then we are to be content. Uh, you can actually live a fulfilled life if you have those two things. If you have food and covering, you can actually live a full and lasting life. You can enjoy life just having those two things. Everything else, all the technology, all the toys, these are just extra. You don't need those things. They're just sugar and you know whipped cream on the top. They're not necessities. But you can live a full life if you understand that. If you have those two things, you can be content. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, reads says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with, with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So, we, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Yeah, this is a context where there's trials and persecution, where they, uh, you know, where they lose all their money and their property. But yet, the writer of Hebrews says, like, don't worry, trust the Lord, be content with how little you have, because discontentment is often a sign of distrust in the Lord. Discontentment is often a sign of distrust in the Lord. But if you're content, you're saying that God, you know what's best for me, and what I have is what's what I need to survive. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. But where we want to be is kind of like, <coughs> excuse me, where we want to be is what Proverbs chapter 30 talks about. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9 tells us, do not give us a tremendous amount of wealth where we stop trusting in you and don't make me poor that I might steal and sin against you. That's a balance we want to have. We want to enjoy, we, we want to have enough so that we're dependent on him and not so little that we sin against him. That's comes down to the issue of contentment. If you're content with that, then you can enjoy this, the things in this life. And second, be wise with your wealth. I'm just going to walk through some of these. Plan ahead. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, is about the ant. He, again, he talks about how the ant thinks about the future, thinks about what's going to happen, so he, so he works hard for it. Uh, you can save. That's Proverbs chapter 28, verse 8. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, Verse 1 to 12 tells us to invest, diversify. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters and you will find it after many days. Divide your portions to seven or even to eight. For you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. This idea like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, And it makes sense. These are just wisdom from scripture. Um, I already said, uh, do things legally. Uh, meaning like you don't try to do some sort of get rich scheme. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse uh, 2, as well as 13 and 11. Or Proverbs 28, verse 20, 28 to 22 is all about uh, gathering wealth quickly. You're going to lose it fast. 
So that's like doing things illegally. You know, people try to do things, uh, you know, get rich screen board, even the lottery, try to get all of these wealth quickly, uh, and then you lose it. And illegally also implies paying your taxes too, like rendered to Caesar things that belong to Caesar. Because if you don't give the money that belongs to the government, that's called tax evasion. And that's a, a terrible testimony. So these are the ways that you, in which you can be wise with your wealth. So first, be content, be wise, and there be generous. Be generous with your wealth. Share and be a blessing to those around you. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 reads this, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters uh, will himself be watered. Proverbs 22, verse 9, it reads, He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. And this idea here is that you give those that are in need. You have wealth, you see those that are in need, and you, you, you meet those needs. You feed them, you, 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 get, you buy them food. This is a very godly thing to do. It's, godly, it's a very godly thing to care for those that are in need, whether it's in the church or outside the church. First Timothy verse six, or chapter 6, verse 18 reads this, Instruct them uh, to do good, to be rich in their good words, be generous and ready to share. Be the hand of God's blessing to other people. You, know, you can be, uh, some people are struggling and they need, uh, you know, they just need some encouragement, whether financially, and you can be that, that answered prayer. Lord, some people are praying for daily bread. You could be the means by which God cares for them. <laughs> Use your wealth to, a bless, to be a blessing to other people. When I was in seminary, there was this wealthy couple that gave a weekend uh, for all the married uh, seminary students and their wives um, to, to basically rent out their place in Malibu. You know, Malibu—that's like the closest thing to paradise. And they just get it's for free. Just like, hey, if you're if you're if you want to, uh, you know, borrow our house for a weekend, feel free to sign up for it. And I was unfortunate be, uh, because I got married very you know, late in my seminary career, so I wasn't able to enjoy it with Kelly. But you know, this is like some of these wealthy people, that's what they do. They, they want to be a blessing to other people, so they use their wealth for the glory of God. And this is what Acts chapter 20, verse 35 tells us, it's better to give than to receive. And that's what the early church did. They saw whatever material needs there are, and they're willing to share with one another. So that's why you can use your wealth. For the, this is one way in which you use your wealth to the glory of God, that you share with other people. So be content with your wealth, be wise with your wealth, be generous with your wealth, Four, be missional with your wealth, or be evangelistic with your wealth. Use your money in a way to, to support missionaries or support others for the glory of God, to, and, and support people that are going to try to win other people to Christ. This is Third uh, John chapter 8, that we become uh, fellow uh, partakers, and uh, we join with them in that way. Use your wealth to bring people to Christ, or, or to create evangelism opportunities. In church history, there was a lady named uh, Selena Hastings. She's known as the Countess of Huntington. That's a really cool name and title. <laughs> she was this very wealthy individual, and everyone knew that she's wealthy. And um, what she would do is that she's a believer, and what she did was that she would selectively, she kind of created the desire that you want to go to her party. So she invited certain people, uh, usually like wealthy people or government people, or just, fam just famous people in the city, um, so that people want to be at this party. And when she invited people into the party, uh, people would eat and, and uh, you know, enjoy the meal. And at, at one point, she would invite people like George Whitfield in and preach to them for an hour. If you know George Whitfield, he's like a very theatrical uh, evangelist. He'll, say, he'll look at people and say, you, child. I see you drinking water, and uh, do you want living water and eternal life? Then if you do, then go to uh, receive Jesus today. And people got saved because of it. Everyone that wanted to be part of this party would hear um, an hour sermon by George Whitfield. And then if George Whitfield's not there, he'll, she'll invite uh, John Wesley. And, uh, and it, basically any pastor that wants to evangelize to them, to this crowd, they did. And a lot of people got saved because of it. Now, if this is what you want to do, that's, be, that's totally cool, you know, because like, I want to invite people, all my wealthy friends, and then invite Pastor Henry to be the headliner to preach the gospel and have Roger sing some songs about, you know, the, the issue of the heart is the heart and, you know, counseling type songs, and I'll just be in Valley just putting gospel tracks and saying, like, are you on the road to hell? So repent, and, you know, this is, you know, just be creative. The point is to be creative. Be creative in a way to bring people to faith. And that's how you can use your wealth for, for the glory of God, to use your money for missional purposes or for evangelism purposes. And lastly, understand that your wealth 
You have to be accountable to it. Be accountable to the Lord for your wealth. You have to give an account on how you spend and how you save. Um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul here talks about the works, all the things that he's done. Uh, some of them are, are wood, hay, and stubble, and some things are like gold. They're going to be tested by fire, and things that are going to get burned up, they lose. But things that are still there, uh, if they get burned up, they, they, they don't lose their salvation. It's just that things that they bought or things that how they spent their life, those things will lose in terms of just the, t- uh, the eternal perspective or the eternal rewards. But if you invest in eternal things, then those things will, will, will remain. So there's a danger in spending your money wrong or saving wrong because you could, or spending wrong is if you do, if you only do things for temporal means and for enjoyment and there's no eternal significance of it. At the same time, you could also save in a way that's wrong. In Luke chapter 12, Pastor Henry preached on this not too long ago. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15 to 21, it reads this, um, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does, he, does his life consist of his possessions. He told the parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And he, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now you will own what you and now who will own what you have prepared. So you can save wrong as well. You can be hoarding all everything and not doing anything. And then it's funny that here he said, You fool. It's considered a foolish thing if you just save and have no purpose for it. If you're hoarding everything and not doing it and not and have no intentional plan for it, then you're wasting your wealth. So you can spend in a way that's dis- displeasing to the Lord, and you can also save in a way that's displeasing to the Lord. Again, God doesn't care which one do you do, but if you do it with a pure heart and in faith and for the glory of God, the Lord will be honored by it. Some of you have probably wasted a lot of your money on things, and you're wondering, how can I redeem this? Well, you can you know, be appreciative of what you have. That's why I did this past week. I just looked and said, wow, Lord, thank you for the toothbrush. Thank you for this uh, toothpaste. Thank you for toilet paper. You could tell which room I was in, but you know, you just look around your room and just be appreciative of all the little things that God has given you. Be thankful for every little thing that you have. Even the things that was, is, have no eternal significance, be thankful that you're able to enjoy for just a little bit. And when it comes to your savings, <coughs> look at your savings and see the number and, and don't envy, and don't, don't say, like, I want more or, or, like, or this isn't enough, but be thankful that you have money in your accounts that the Lord is providentially giving this to you for some sort of future need. And whether that is to spend it on eternal things or whatever, you know, just save with an eternal perspective. Money will make you happy, especially if that is your sole purpose. If you attempt to pursue money for the sake of money, money will not make any sense to you. It doesn't matter how many zeros you have in your bank account. Some of you only have zeros, but, you know, like a digit and then some zeros afterwards. It doesn't matter how much money you have because if, you don't, if you're not thankful to the Lord, you're not content, you'll find no joy no matter how much money you have. And perhaps some of you hate your job because you only work for the sake of money. Um, and yes, you cannot enjoy money if you, and if you only see that as just getting money as a, as a purpose. You see that your job is a blessing from the Lord and enjoy your work this week. God has made you to long for Him because wealth is not the answer. Money will not satisfy but enjoy it for what it is, a way to point you to God's faithfulness and goodness. If you want to fully enjoy wealth, the solution is not to have more money, but to have more God. If there's one line that you can take away from this whole message is this, that you need God more, not money. You need God more, not money. So what does that look like? It means you know Him more. You devote more time in His Word. You pray to Him more. You depend on Him more. You seek after Him. You transform your life to the words of God. You're being, you tell others about Him. You delight in Him. You serve Him. You do all those things well, then you can enjoy the wealth that God has given you. And once you do all that, every single penny that you have 
and that you possess will allow you to enjoy it with the eternal perspective. Now we have to understand that our greatest wealth is not found in our bank accounts, but rather it is in Christ. Let me close by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 reads this. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You have to understand this is the doctrine of imputation. And what that means is that you, it's, it's an accounting term. It's this idea that you have none, it's not even zero, it's that you are in, like, in debt. And God puts money into that account. And not just that it becomes equal, like you're, you're done paying everything off, but He gives you an abundance that you have this infinite wealth that's from the Lord. And He speaks of this in terms of a moral sense that before we were saved, we were bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Uh, we have nothing that we can do to achieve God's righteousness. But when Jesus Christ came into this world, lived that perfect life, he supposed to inherit the good, all the good things that come for living a perfect life, yet he died on our behalf, and in and, and three days rising from the dead, and he's giving the wealth that he deserved from his perfect life into our accounts. He transferred his righteousness into our empty state, and then our emptiness is given to him. This is the doctrine of imputation that I suppose it teaches about wealth, that not, not really about wealth, but the, the, the importance of a true wealth that's found in our salvation and not in the things of this world. God gave, gave us wealth so that we can enjoy a greater wealth that is not from this earth, but is eternal life. And may we, as Christians, have an eternal perspective about money, that no matter how much money we get, or how much money we lose, or how much money we will lose, or how much money we will get, that ultimately our greatest worth is not found in our, in our earthly possessions, but know that we actually have, a great, uh, we have the greatest thing. We have Jesus Christ, who's, who's, who's promised us an inheritance that will last forever. May we be thankful, not just for the temporal wealth, but more importantly, be thankful to the Lord for the eternal salvation He provided for us through the life and death of His Son. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for all that You've given us. All the things in this world are just temporal things that are supposed to point us to the eternal things. We're thankful that You give us needs and provide for our daily bread and even things that we could enjoy. But Lord, may we our hearts are so deceptively wicked that we're so easily drawn to the things of this world and to love the gift and not you, Lord. Convict our hearts, uh, allow us to see um, and have an accurate view of what we truly uh, cherish. And may we treasure you above all things. Know that these gifts are just, they'll, they'll flee and they'll, they'll fade away. But the love that we have with you is eternal and it goes beyond this life. Thank you for teaching us this week, and may we be good stewards of the money that you've entrusted us with. Uh, may we use it, uh, may we be content with it. Um, may we be generous. Um, may we be wise. Uh, may we be missional, and knowing that all these things will be given account to you. And hope, we hope, Lord, that um, as we spend it for your glory, that we will inherit, um, that we will have eternal rewards for the, the way that we uh, spent the things that you've given us. Thank you for this time that we have. In your son's precious name. Amen.